have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me to Philippians, Philippians chapter 4. We're looking at verses 4 through 9, 4 through 9. How can a person deal with anxiety? Well, you might try what one guy did. He worried so much that he decided to hire someone to do his worrying for him. Wouldn't that be great? He found a man who agreed to be his worrier for a salary of $200,000 a year. And so after the man accepted the job, his first question to his boss was, where are you going to get the $200,000 per year? To which the man responded, that's your worry, okay? And so that'd be great to be able to hire a worrier. Well, it's natural to worry, but we saw last week it's supernatural to not worry and replace worrying with praying. And so on this second Sunday of Advent, we're reflecting on the gift that God loves to give. And what is that gift? What? Peace. Peace. Yeah, peace. The gift that God loves to give is peace. And we've seen that in Philippians 4. Verses 4 through 9. Now, there's seven commands in this passage. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to get in your Bibles and look a little bit. So there at your table, I want you to look at Philippians 4, and I want your table to identify the seven commands. What are the seven commands? So you find those, help each other see what those are. Seven commands in these verses, 4 through 9. All right, seven commands. All right, so... What, what's the, what, what's, what are they? Verse 4, how many commands? Do what? How many? Twice. Yeah, two commands. Rejoice in the Lord. That's an imperative. Again, I say rejoice. Two commands. What's the command in verse 5? How many commands? In verse 5. One. What is it? Let your gentleness be known. Good. Verse 6. How many commands? Two. What's the first one? All right. Or be anxious for nothing. And second one? Let your request be made known. Those passives kind of freak you out. It doesn't sound like a command, but they are. Good. What about uh, seven? Any commands in seven? Yeah, Zippo Dana, that's a promise. Fulfill the commands that precede that, and this promise will be true. God does that, not you. Verse eight, how many, how many commands? What is it? Yes, meditate or dwell on these things. Verse nine, how many commands? One, which is, what is it? Practice these things. Excellent, excellent. You did a great job. Give yourself a hand. Well done. Wake up. Respond. Good job. Wonderful. Excellent. All right, so what do you have here? Seven commands. Notice that there's no connection between the commands. It's just rapid fire. Boom, 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 boom. And really, the commands are so simple, so bold, it, you know, it, you, it just kind of outlines itself. I mean, okay, how, how can I restate that? Here's what you do. These seven commands. Verses 4 through 7 has five, and they climax, as I said, with verse 7, with this promise. And the peace of 
of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your minds and your hearts in Christ Jesus. Verses 8 through 9, which we'll study today, has two commands which climax with this promise, and the God of peace will be with you. So, last week we saw how to receive the gift of peace. Rejoice in the Lord, relate to others with gentleness from the Lord, and replace worrying with praying to the Lord. This morning, we're going to look at 8 through 9 and discover how to re-gift the giver of peace. And so you see Philippians 4 through 9 is just kind of the circle that you receive the the, the peace of God, and then you re-gift the God of peace so that they can receive the peace of God, so they can re-gift the God of peace. So, let's begin today by saying this, asking this, the gift of peace or the giver of peace? peace which is better? The, why is that? Do what? Then he, you, he can give all you want and you can... Get all you need. Right, exactly. Which do you want? Do you want to know the gift? Do you just want the gift? Or do you want the giver? Okay, so it's kind of like, do you want to uh, get a free donut? Or do you want to know the baker? Which would be better? Knowing the baker. What? Depends on, well, exactly. Depends on how generous he is and, and what kind of relationship you have with him. Think about this. Do you want to visit the doctor or would it be better to have a brother that is a doctor? I can tell you it's better to have a brother who is a doctor. I can call him anytime I want. He can write prescriptions. I better not say anything else to get him in trouble. He's retired now, so it doesn't matter. But it's, I'm telling you, it's better to know the doctor than just to get a doctor's visit. Is it better to go to the pharmacy at Walgreens or to know the pharmacist? Always better to know the pharmacist. Believe me, I promise you. Uh, my dad, uh, his family, when he grew up as a child, they went through depression. But my dad, uh, my dad's dad, my grandpa, was a chef at the Kansas City Club. Let me tell you, it was better to know the chef in the depression. They ate steak, lobster. He brought stuff home from the restaurant. It's the same thing with God. The giver is always better than the gift. The giver is always better than the gift. And I have all sorts of verses there that you can read about the God of peace. Because here's like Todd said, He can give you all the peace you want. Well, here's the good news. The God of peace not only gives peace, He gives joy, He gives love, He gives hope. He gives grace. If you read through those verses, you're going to see that it's by far better to know the God of peace than just the peace of God. And so that's what verses 8 and 9, and why is that true? It's, it's best to have a relationship with the God of peace so you can always receive the gift of God and re-gift the giver of peace to others. So it's always better to have a relationship. That kind of gets to what Dana says. Well, it depends on how generous he is. Well, we know from God that he's very generous. So how's your relationship with the giver of peace? And that's what verses 8 and 9 are about. Because, listen, even though if you are born again this morning, if you've crossed from darkness to light, from unbelief to belief, 
from knowing about God to trusting in Jesus, if you've made that crossover, then you stand in the grace of God and you have peace with God. But it's another thing whether you're experiencing that peace. There's a whole lot of Christians who profess to know God and profess to have peace with God that aren't experiencing that peace. You can see it on their countenance. You can see it in the words they the words they use, the way they talk, the way they live. They're as anxious as the unsaved person that they work with. And so the question is, what is your relationship like with the God of peace? We I've got Romans five one there. Therefore, having been justified by faith. Nothing we do, it's what God has done. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace is the gift that God really loves to give, and He gives it by faith. Uh, He gives it to those who place their faith in what Jesus has done. But we are talking today about regifting the giver of peace. And so here's the question to get into the lesson. Here's what I want you to think. Regifting the giver of peace. Why should I bother? Why do I care about that? Why should I listen to today's lesson? Well, let me tell you, when people see the peace of God in our lives, in spite of the storms they know we're going through, when they see the peace that comes from God and passes supernatural understanding and is beyond human comprehension, they take notice. And sometimes they even cross over from not knowing God to knowing God because they see your relationship with God in action. Uh, Recently, I just told you about the story of John Wesley, a famous uh, founder of Methodism, famous revivalist in the 1800s, 1700s. He encountered Moravian missionaries on board a ship bound for America. He was headed to America to be a missionary, and yet he wasn't even born again. He didn't have that peace. But these Moravian missionaries knew God, and in the midst of that ship, uh, the the tra the what do you call it a ship trip I don't know the ship trip to America the voyage oh there you go thank you that that was very helpful uh, the the ship trip to America they ran into a storm and here's what Wesley wrote in his journal that one day the group of Moravians had just began to sing a psalm of worship when quote here's what Wesley wrote. The sea broke over, split the mainsail in pieces, covered the ship, and poured in between the decks as if the great deep had already swallowed us up. A terrible screaming began among the English passengers, but the Germans, who were Moravians, calmly sung on. I asked one of them afterwards, were you not afraid? And he answered, I thank God no. I asked, but were you were not your women and children afraid? And he replied mildly, No, our women and children are not afraid to die. Wesley called this, quote, in his journal, the most glorious day which I have hitherto seen. He later testified that the Moravians' peace contributed directly to his conversion. Why? Because he thought he had peace with God, knew God, but in the storms of life, a literal storm, he had no peace, and these people are just singing, praising God, and ready to meet 
their Maker and Savior. Those who are far from God, listen, are watching your life. If you have made clear that you are a Christian, they are watching your life and they want to see if there's a difference in your life because of Christ. They want to know what difference does it make to in your life when things are tough. Are they seeing the God of peace in your life? That's the question. Paul helps us to know how to receive the peace of God in verses 4 through 7. But now he wants to show us how we can stand firm in our relationship with the Lord, with the God of peace, and how to re-gift it to others. Now, when I use the word re-gift, you know, usually that has a negative sense. I got something I don't want, and I wanted to give it to someone that I probably don't care much about either, and maybe they'll like it better. Re-gifting is what you do, you know, some of you are going to do, Dirty Santa tonight, you know, we introduced Dirty Santa to some new people, and they, 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 they well, they, they had a different view of Dirty Santa than, than what we did. You know, I Googled that later, and I thought, you know, maybe we shouldn't, you know, bad things come up. Yeah, it, it was bad. I said, no, 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 this is like white elephant. Okay, okay. Yeah, you give each other things you don't want. That kind of has a negative. But I'm using re-gift in the way we did it for Mark for the Maconde. We wanted to re-gift the most treasured possession we have, the Word of God. And because it's so wonderful, and we love those who don't yet know Christ, we want to re-gift. We want to give to them what has been given to us, the Word of God. Well, that's how I'm using peace. Verses 8 and 9, we just received peace in verses 4 through 7. That peace is so wonderful. And out of love for others, we want to re-gift the peace that God has given us so that everybody Everybody can know the peace of God. Right? I hope right. I hope that you're not so consumed by your own life and your own needs that you're not looking out this season at the needs of others around you who need the peace of God. The peace that you have. And so hopefully I'm going to help you re-gift the peace that God to give. So, how do you do that? Well, this verse, these verses are so simple. They're easy to outline. Verses 8 and 9, first point is verse 8. Here's how you re-gift the giver of peace. Meditate on the best things. Meditate on the best things. Meditate on the best things. Or you could say, renew your mind with godly thinking. Renew your mind with godly thinking. So, let's look at verse 8. Finally, brethren, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is anything of excellence and anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Now, if you have a new King James or a King James, the word dwell is translated meditate, and that is a great translation. That command to dwell, to meditate, means more than just keep these things in your mind. It means to really drill down, consider the ramifications, meditate, think about the consequences of what you're thinking on, and then live accordingly. So, it's the difference between memorizing something and meditating on something, right? So, you can memorize, 
you know, you memorize your phone number. Your people all the time say, I, "I can't memorize." Sure, you can. You know your phone. Well, now we don't know our phone numbers because of smartphones, right? We become dumber. Our phones become smart. But here's the idea: you memorize all sorts of information, but you don't meditate. You don't sit there and go, "Oh," you don't meditate on your address. You don't meditate on so much of the information you have. But with the Word of God, we're to think on the best things, meditate on them, not just know about them. Um, the Bible leaves no doubt that people's lives are the product of their thoughts. Here's what Proverbs 23, 7 says. For as he thinks within himself, so is he. It's kind of the old computer thing, gigo, garbage in, garbage out. And that's really true. So what do you think on? So let me make three observations about meditation because there's a lot of weird thinking about meditation. So let me help you out. First thing is worry is a negative form of meditation. So if how many of you know how to worry? You know, how many how many of you could give classes on how to yeah, you're great worriers. Well guess what? You're that means you're a great meditator. It's just that you meditate on the wrong things. You go over and over it and you go, What about this? And if this and you should look for connections and then you worry and you worry. That's what meditation so worry is just a negative form of meditation. And yet most of what we worry about never comes to pass. It's a waste of time. And it takes you away from God, and it takes you, it robs you of the peace of God, and it doesn't help you to walk with the God of peace. 500 years ago, a guy by the name of Michel de Montaigne, which I'm sure has a better accent in French than I do, said this, My life has been filled with terrible misfortune, most of which never happened. And that's, you know, that's the way a lot of us are, right? Now there's a study that proves this. This study looked in to how many of our imagined calamities never materialize. And in this study, subjects were, write down their wor- were asked to write down their worries over an extended period of time and then identify which of their imagined misfortunes uh, did not actually happen. And lo and behold, it turns out that a whopping 85% of what people worry about never happened. And the other 15% that actually did happen, they discovered that it, that it was easier to handle than what they thought. Right? And so that's the reality. 97% of what you worry over is not much more than a fearful mind punishing you with exaggerations and misperceptions. And so in your uh, table there, I have uh, uh, something to help you get in the holiday spirit. How to be spiritually miserable in the new year. So here's 13 ways for you to be spiritually miserable in the new year. Obviously, it, it means 13 ways to do the opposite of what we're talking about, okay? And so I just gave you that, and I think it's good. Second observation about meditation. New Age or Eastern meditation is not meditation at all. Why? Because Eastern or New Age meditation, meditation is emptying your mind of all thoughts. Well, then you're not, what are you meditating on? Nothing. Okay, so worrying is more of a meditation than Near Eastern meditation. But what we want to do is biblical meditation, which is really a positive form of worrying. You keep thinking over and over about the best things, the things that are morally excellent, the 
things that are praiseworthy in God's estimate. So take your energy of worrying and move it into the area of biblical meditation. Well, what are we to meditate on in this verse? It says these things. So let's let's talk about this a little bit. Get a little bit of context to help you out. First of all, what are these things? Well, there are six things mentioned there. True, honorable, right, pure, lovely, and of good reputation. Then he switches and there's two qualifying things that are mentioned. If anything is morally excellent and if anything is worthy of praise. So that's the these things. Now, where did get Paul get these? Now, this is what's interesting or kind of difficult to understand. This list, are mo- all of these character qualities were very common in the Greek and Roman culture that the Philippians lived in. Paul has taken this list of eight things and borrowed it from the culture around them. In fact, if you listen to the funeral of President Bush, you would hear many of these attributes were repeated over and over. So 41 was a true person, a loyal person, an honorable person, a praiseworthy person. I mean, so much so that even the, the, the left-wing media was, was honoring the man, right? And so you heard all these words. So they're very common. They were very common in that day. Paul is drawing on the culture around the Philippians, and he's basically saying this, look out at your culture, this pagan, unbelieving culture, and there are still godly or positive things to think on. Boy, do we need that message today? Right? So if you, if you listen to the world, everything's this, right? But listen, you need to look out there and realize God is at work in the culture around you. That's what he's saying. Now, why did Paul use, or, or where, that's where he got him from, the culture around him. Now, don't get me wrong, these are biblical qualities, but he's using the terminology of the culture around him. Now, why did Paul use these things? Well, it's hard to say. I can't read Paul's mind, and Paul doesn't tell us exactly why. But if you look at the context of the book, I think, I suggest to you, this is why he used these unique words that were common in the culture. They were living under Roman rule, and so this was the culture around them. And yet, according to Philippians, they were citizens of heaven. That can be a tension in our thinking. You know, who am I supposed to live like? Who am I supposed to think like? And I think what Paul's saying is, look, don't dwell on the negativity negativity and immorality of the pagan culture around you. If you do, it will rob you of your peace. It will rob you of your joy. You'll begin thinking negative. You'll be thinking immoral. And pretty soon you'll be living in a way that the God of peace does not bless. Are you with me? So if you dwell on the negativity, you begin to become what you dwell on. Secondly, instead, look for what God's doing around you. Even in the pagan, immoral culture around you, God is at work. And again, as I watched the funeral of President Bush, it it was just, it was inspiring. It was uplifting in the sense of, look, 
There are, God is doing positive things. And yet, even in the, without Christ, you can't even live up to these things. I mean, as honorable as this man was, his own son said he loved off-color jokes the most. Okay? And, and the commentators, even though the commentators were praising this, praising this, those commentators don't live it out in how they report the news, how they treat others. So, in a sense, Paul's saying, look around you. People know what they, they know what they admire and they know what they aspire to, but they don't know the God of peace and they can't live it out. But you can. You can. So dwell on these things. Look around you. God is at work. You get to live out the things that people want to admire and they want to aspire to, but they can't. Are you with me? The saddest thing about that is I, I, I truly believe uh, President Bush uh, probably no, knows the Lord, and I would not be surprised at all if he is in heaven. But the saddest thing was the sermon, there was no gospel in it. It was all works. And so that's kind of what he's saying. He's saying, look, people are trying to live this way. They want to live this way, but guess what? You get to live this way. Now do it by dwelling on these things. So how should we think about these things? Well, I've kind of told you. We should think about these are the things, these six things, these eight things, are the things that the unsaved people around you admire and want, but they can't live out, and you can. Now, here's what's interesting, too, about this list. From every one of these verses, it's like Paul is practicing leading us to practice what he's preaching in the way he's teaching it. So look at verse 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord. Then he kind of says, wait a minute. I didn't say just think about that. Again, I say, let's, it's like he pauses the, the message or the letter and says, now let's just stop and rejoice in the Lord. Then look at verse 5. He says, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. I'm not talking about tomorrow. The Lord is near. Let's do this right now. And then he says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer. And then he lists all these different ways of praying. It's like he's saying, look, let's stop and just pray. Let's supplicate. Let's give thanks. Let's make requests. And now he comes to verse uh, 8 and he says, brethren, think on these things. And then he goes, boom, 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 boom. Here's a list to get you started. And you can't help but read about that list and have your thinking be elevated. Are you with me? And that's why he doesn't put any conjunctions. You know, he's not and, and. He's just like, boom, boom, true, honorable. And pretty soon, you're kind of overwhelmed because you realize how much stinking thinking you have in your life. And how high this is and how low our thoughts are, okay? So let's, let's dive into this. These things are some of the best things to meditate on. Whatever is true is the first one. Whatever is true. Whatever is true and real versus lies and false reality. Almost all your Bibles have true there. They all translate the same. This is always the starting point on our thinking. So think about this. Of all the things God, Paul could have said to think on, the best things is to start with the things that are true and real versus false and lies. 
This is always the starting point. What is reality? Let me read you this quote by John MacArthur because I think he says this well. Paul's call for biblical thinking is especially relevant in our culture. The focus today is on emotion and pragmatism. What works? How do I feel and what works? And the importance of serious thinking about biblical truth is downplayed. People no longer ask, is it true? But what they do ask is, does it work? How will it make me feel? These latter two questions serve as a working definition of truth in our society that rejects the concept of absolute divine truth. Truth is whatever works and produces positive emotions. Sadly, such pragmatism and emotionalism has crept even into our theology. The church is often more concerned about whether something will be divisive or offensive than whether it's biblically true. And boy, that is no, that is so true in our culture today. You can think of the topics, the hot topics, they're in the news. In fact, one was just in the news this past week. Uh, is this sin and this Christian singer compromised and bailed and just walked away from it and said, I'm not God, I don't know. You know, you study the Bible, you come back and tell me. Well, listen, God hasn't stuttered. The Bible is clear. And if we want to know what truth is, then we've got to get in this book, but we have to be willing to take the pushback from our society. So how do you know what's true? You get in the Bible. You get in the Bible. Meditate on the best things, whatever is true and real. Listen, the whole, you know, know, I am pro-science, but I'm telling you, whatever this book says is true. Now, you've got to properly interpret it, but the whole world can be going that way. And the Bible said, let God be true and every man a liar. I'm going to go with this book. I'm just going to go with this book because God revealed it. And God is true, and He knows what reality is. And so you've got to meditate on the best things, and that is what is true. From that, he says, number two, whatever is honorable. Whatever is honorable. What does that mean? Whatever is worthy of honor and respect versus out of control and undisciplined. Some of your Bibles have worthy of respect. Some have noble, honorable. It's that exceptional behavior and character that is worthy of respect. So this one, more than anything, we've heard with the death of President Bush. Honorable, right? Citizenship, character, and really, it wasn't about his political policies. It was, they had his friend. The guy was a friend. He was loyal and true. He was honorable. I felt bad for some of those presidents that were sitting there whose lives are anything but honorable. What a big difference. What a big difference. And, of course, it's easy to say all that about others, but what about you? I heard a pastor say, we're all going to spend time in the box. He meant the coffin. We all have box time coming up. And when you're in that box, what are people going to say? Are they going to say you were honorable? Well, you've got to think on the things that are honorable. What is honorable is the opposite of what's filled with gossip and the spreading of rumors and backbiting and cutting people down. It's the opposite of a loose tongue that talks much but says little that is worth listening to or meditating 
on. One man said, The things that lift the mind from the cheap and tawdry to that which is noble and good and of moral worth. Meditate on the best things, whatever is honorable. Number three, whatever is right. Whatever is right. Some of your uh, translations have just. In the Greek culture around the Philippians, this meant whatever upholds the customs and standards that make for a well-ordered society and makes for a good citizen. Uh, But in the Bible, it's the same word group as righteous. So the idea is that which is right is not what the world says, it's what God says in His Word. So think on the things that are consistent with God and His standards. And you're only going to find those in the Bible, okay? Meditate on the best things, whatever's right and just versus unrighteous, unjust, or unfair. Number four, whatever is pure. Whatever is pure. Whatever is holy in the sight of God versus impure, filthy, and sinful. Almost all your translations, you pure. The purity here is associated with sexual purity. So we're talking about that which is pure and above reproach without a stain or spot of sin. Okay? Uh, Meditate on the best things. Whatever is pure and holy. We have an epidemic of pornography in our society and it's eating up the church. It's eating up the people in the pews. It's eating up the pastors in the pulpit. Get help. We are here to help. We are here to help. There is the grace of God that not only can cover that sin, but it can free you. Oh my gosh, the freedom that you can experience when you're not in bondage to the sexual bondage of just pornography. I pray uh, for myself. I wish you would pray for me. Pray for uh, Pastor Bruce. I I pray for our young men, our young ladies. With these phones, I, I couldn't have handled it growing up. And so we, think on things that are pure, whatever is pure and holy in God's presence. And by the way, that's not just a male sin, that's a female sin too. Number five, whatever is lovely, whatever is lovely, whatever is beautiful and joyful versus ugly and repulsive. I love this word lovely. Okay, so we're kind of going through all these words, and you're like, oh, this is so spiritual, and it doesn't relate to light. Well, it, well, all those things do, but this word lovely, it's not so much something that's moral. It's just think on those things that just bring a smile to you. Think of, the, think of that sunset, right? You see a sunset, right, your beach pictures, and you just go, oh, that just makes me feel good. That's, it's lovely. Some people know, you know, people that say, oh, that's precious. They say everything. Well, whatever that is, you know, this this thinking on these things justifies all the cat and puppy videos you watch on YouTube. Right. Because you just go, ah, you know, right. They just feels good. It's, it's just it's enjoying good music. It's seeing a play or a, mu- a movie or a picture. And, and it doesn't have to be a bit song or a Christian, you know, in fact, maybe it's better if it's not a Christian song. Some of those aren't so lovely. Uh, they're beautiful, okay? Think on those things. Number six, whatever is of good repute, whatever is of good repute or reputation, 
whatever is of good reputation. The idea is basically, when I think about this word, I think of when people, uh, sometimes the the college kids or, or other people seeking a job will ask me to give them a recommendation. Well, what do they want me to write down? The things that are commendable, right? The things that are good. So dwell on those things that you would want on a resume, not the things you would not want on a resume, all right? That's the idea of good repute. Okay, now, at this point, he makes a shift, and he says, these things are the best things, but there's two qualifiers to them, okay? So notice, at the end of verse 8, he says, whatever, 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 and you're like, wow, it's wide open. Then he says, if there is any excellence and if there's anything of praise. So here's the qualifiers. Number one, if there is any excellence. is If there is any excellence. And the idea here is moral excellence. That that way of life, that godliness that reflects God's glory and God's image in mankind. I mean, it, 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 so think on whatever you want as long as it's morally excellent. Does that make sense? As long, think on those things that make you think about the attributes of God. His holiness, His righteousness, His 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 grace, His forgiveness, His loving kindness, and secondly, and if anything worthy of praise. So think of those things that you don't you're, you wouldn't be ashamed of to bring in the presence of God. Watch those things that you wouldn't be ashamed of bringing them into the presence of God. Listen to those things you wouldn't be ashamed of. So these are the two qualifiers. Is it morally excellent, and is it worthy of praise before God? God, I invite you in to watch this porn with me. You will really enjoy it. No, we would never do that. That's why we don't even do it in the presence of other people, because we're ashamed, and we know that. Okay? So, it's, hey, these thoughts are excellent. And by the way, it's not just about porn or Morality, it's about just stinking thinking that's on that handout. Just stinking thinking that if you walked in the presence of God, he'd say, please don't, please don't do that. That, mm. Right? Because if you're honest with you, when you're around people thinking and talking that way, it makes you, you ever talk with people and you walk away and you feel dirty or down or depressed because it's just, "Mm, mm, mm." instead of, Ah, you know, lifting you up to think higher thoughts of God. Amen? Meditate on the best things. Amen? Now, it's not just in our mind. So what you think is how you begin to live. So here's the second thing. So that the God of peace will be with you is imitate the right things. And this is verse 9. So meditate on the, on the uh, best things, but imitate the right things. Look at verse 9. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. So let's take a look at it. What are the right things we are to imitate? Number one, follow the right people or the right pattern. I don't care what you use. Follow the right people. Follow the right pattern. The things you have learned and heard, 
or learned and received and heard and seen in me. Me. Paul was constantly encouraging people to follow the right pattern of life in the right people. And guess who he wasn't afraid to suggest to follow? Follow me. He said this over and over. Listen, he already said this before in Philippians. Turn back in your Bible. So turn to Philippians 3.17. Turn back in your Bibles to Philippians 3.17. Notice what he says there in Philippians 3.17. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Make sure you're following the right people. Listen. Are the people you follow, the people you hang around with, do they have the peace of God? Is the God of peace in their life? Are your best friends people who know the God of peace? Who are you patterning your life after? That's the question here. And before you think that you have to be perfect or sinless before you call others to follow you. Remember 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says, imitate me or follow me just as I follow Christ. So don't follow everything in my life. I'm not sinless, but follow the things that are Christ-like in my life. Are you with me? So you don't have to be perfect. You just need to be making progress in becoming more like Christ. Um, So... Who's your pattern? So let me ask you this. Who's your Paul? Who are you following after? Secondly, who's your Timothy? Who is following after you? And guess what, parents? If you have kids, you're all a Paul to your Timothys. You say, but I don't want them to follow my life. I want them to follow, go to church and follow that life. Well, guess what? They're, you're the number one influencer. It's your pattern of life that they're going to imitate. Are you with me? So you better get somebody in your life that you're following that's making you more Christ-like so that they can follow you and imitate that which is like Christ in you. And then who's your partner in this process? You should have a Barnabas that's going through the same process. So follow the right people. Number two, invest in the right process. Invest in the right process. He goes on and he lists these four words. And I wish I had time... As you trace these words through Scripture, this is the discipleship process. These words are heavy laden with the discipleship process. And so I kind of broke them down for you. Uh, he kind of works his way to the back. The first thing we do, we, we, we notice about people is how we live. And so he says, the things you saw in me because I was relationally among you. Okay. And then he says the things you heard from me. But we know from the study of the word heard in the Bible, it means here to obey. So he's saying those things that you heard and you began to obey. And then he says the things you received. And when you trace that word out, it always refers to receiving divine revelation from the Lord. So first you notice someone's life and you go, that's a worthy life to take notice of. Then you hear what they say, and you're like, oh, I want to do that. But then you receive it as from the Lord, and that's when your life begins to change. There's a lot of people that come to church, 
and they hear the Word of God taught, and they try to obey it, but they don't receive it as from the Lord, and they aren't transformed in it. And then he says, you learned it. And he doesn't mean head knowledge. He means you learned it through experience where your life began to transform so that you could reproduce it in others. That's the process. So let me say this to you. As we come at the end of 2018 and we move into 2019, here's three easy ways for you to begin this process. Number one, make Discovery Hour a priority for your family so that you're being taught here or in one of our other adult classes, your kids are being taught the Word of God, and together you're learning to think and practice these things. Does that make sense? So don't say, I'm going to be consistent in 2018 coming to Discovery Hour. Number two, ask to be discipled. Ask for someone to take you through the Word of God so that you can see and hear and receive and learn from them. But also, some of you have discipled in the past. Step up and be a discipler again or for the first time and do for others what's been done for you. And then third, be a part of our grow groups. Today is basically today's our last Sunday for our grow groups for this session. Be in a grow group next session. Another way to have... To, fall, to imitate the right things. Are you, make sense? All right. I won't say, are you with me? Number three, practice these things for the right purpose. Practice these things for the right purpose. I really had to think through this because I don't want you to leave here today thinking that if I think the right things and if I practice the right things or if I meditate on the best things and imitate the right things, then God will be in my life as though you somehow earn your relationship with God. He's writing to Christians, people who already know God. So they're not doing these things to enter into the relationship with the peace of God or with the God of peace. They already have the peace of God in their life. But here's the hard truth. Now, listen to me. Your relationship is a free gift through Jesus Christ that you accept by faith. But this passage is telling us that you can know Christ and be born again and yet not have the God of peace moving with you through life. That's what the verse says. He says, look, think think on these things, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So, are you professing to know the God of peace, and yet you're living without peace. I can tell you two things you need to repent of and do today is meditate on the best things and imitate the right things, and the God of peace will be with you. Isn't that good? And here's the thing. The God of peace will be with you through all things when that happens. And that's when the lost world takes notice. Wow! You're going through hard times like I am, but you're doing it different. You lost your job like I did, but you have a peace that I don't have. You have marital conflict like I do, but somehow you deal with it as though the God of peace is with you. They won't say it that way, but they notice it. Are you with me? And it all begins with meditate on the best things and imitate the right things, and the God of peace will be with you. So, 
I don't know where you're at this morning, but I know peace is the gift that God loves to give. And He wants to give it to you. First of all, through a relationship with Jesus Christ, but second of all, putting that relationship into action, practice these things on a daily basis. Amen? I hope, I think we can all do some confession and some repentance from this lesson, right? Because I don't know about you, but think on these things. There's a whole lot of things that I can, I can elevate my thinking in the presence of the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace to us. We thank you that the peace of God is a gift that you love to give by faith alone, in Christ alone. But Lord, those of us that have received that gift, are we enjoying it? Are we experiencing it? Or do we have stinking thinking? And are we following the wrong pattern? And have we not disciplined our lives so that we are in the presence of those that can lead us closer to you. Father, I pray that we won't enter into 2019 with the same defeats, with the same negativity, with the same sins dogging our steps. But we will experience the peace that passes all understanding. And you as the God of peace, the source of peace, the abundant giver of peace will be with us through all things that we encounter, Most, uh, all of which we don't even know what will come. But you do. And I pray that you will be with us. I pray that for each person in this class today. In Jesus' name, amen.